Well, good morning. Thank you so much for being here. This is the last installment in our series, Seven Ups for a Better Life. We're looking at lifting up this morning. Next week, we will begin a series that will be uh, for the month of December, setting us up for uh, this time of year where we honor and remember the birth of Jesus Christ. Our world you know, around us is, is observant of that, and so we're going to redeem that, and we're going to talk about the birth of Jesus and what that means for us as Christians in a series we call Manger Things. So hopefully you'll tune in for that and be with us for that. This morning, though, we're continuing, finishing up our series on seven ups for a better life. I hope that you felt like that these ups have helped you to some degree, maybe encouraged and edified you, and hopefully this one this morning that we're talking about will be one that we all apply to our lives so that we can lift each other up because we all need that, right? How many of you remember Carrie Strug? Is that a name that you remember? She's a young lady that was part of the Magnificent Seven, which was the U.S. gymnastics team that won gold at the 1996 Olympics. Heading into the final rotation, the U.S. team had a dominant lead over the Russians, but the Russians were not mathematically eliminated, not just yet, because if the United States team didn't perform well on vault, then it was possible that the Russians could overtake them and win the gold medal. And especially when you consider that on that final event, the vault, none of the U.S. gymnasts actually landed one. One of them fell twice. And so it was up to Carrie Strug to make certain that she scored and scored fairly high so that she could assure victory for her team. And so she steps up to the runway. She races down the runway. She does her flips and her turns and her twists and all that. And she lands awkwardly and hurts her ankle pretty badly to the point that she could barely walk. Now, she's hurt, she's limping, and she looks over at her coach, Bella Caroli, and she asks the question, she says, do we need this? And he looks at her and he says, yes, Carrie, we need this for gold, we need you, one more time. And so, she steps up to the runway again, she races with all her might, she does her flips and her turns, and she lands, even on that, that hurt ankle, she lands firmly, she salutes, and then she collapses. If you remember, she was carried off the floor but her score of 9.7 was more than enough to assure victory for the United States. And afterwards, she was asked the question, what motivated you? What got you through? What helped you to block out the pain and compete in that moment? And she said this, she said, I kept my eye on the coach. Instead of focusing on the pain, I focused on the prize. There's some wisdom in that for us, isn't there? Because I think that that is all of us. We all go through pain, but if we keep our eyes fixed on the coach and the prize, that's what's going to get us through. You know, I read through Scripture, and I find all sorts of individuals who were dealing with difficulty, that were suffering emotionally or physically or both. You know, I think about Jeremiah, I think about David, I think about Paul, I think about the people Paul spoke to. I, I think about, you know, Jesus in the garden. If you read through the Psalms sometime, you find the portrait of a man who is dealing with physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual turmoil. And yet what I see when I survey all those folks uh, in Scripture, what I see that stands out with most, if not all of them, is that in the middle of turmoil, they refocused. They found God again, and they kept their focus on the coach and on the prize. And that's really what the book of Hebrews is all about. It's a warning to these Jewish Christians 
not to fall away. The Hebrew writer is addressing these Christians who are ready to throw in the towel. And the message to them is don't. Don't throw in the towel. Keep fighting. Keep your eyes on the coach and on the prize. Keep moving forward because as ridiculous as it may sound, this is the path to victory. Look with me at Hebrews chapter 10. And beginning in verse 1, this is what we read. For the law, since it has only a shadow of the good things to come and not the form of those things itself, can never, by the same sacrifices which they offer continually every year, make those who approach perfect. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered? Because the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have had consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. One of the predominant themes you see throughout the book of Hebrews is better than. Jesus is better than. The Hebrew writer is connecting the old with the new. You know, I've told you before, it drives me nuts when someone says, we don't need the Old Testament anymore, it's outdated, it's not for us. No, you absolutely need the Old Testament. You can't understand the New Testament if you don't understand the Old Testament. And that's what the Hebrew writer is doing. He's making a connection here between the old and the new. The old was a shadow. Jesus is the reality. You don't embrace the shadows anymore, you embrace the reality. And so the old sets up the new. Anytime that uh, the Christians, the apostles, were speaking to a Jewish audience, one of the things that they tried to get across to them was that they're not abandoning their faith, their heritage, their ancestry. Anytime the apostles spoke to Jewish audience, they, they tried to get them to understand, you're not abandoning your ancestry. That following Jesus is the most Jewish thing you could ever do. That's what it's all about. Everything that, that the law, the prophets, uh, the, the tablets of stone, Moses, the temple, all of that pointed to now. It pointed to Jesus, the Messiah. He is the culmination of all these things. All that pointed to him. And so it's not that you're having to abandon your heritage. This is the most Jewish thing you could ever do, is to follow Jesus. Sometimes I think we, we form this false dichotomy in our minds and we say, well, it's Christianity versus Judaism. But that's not the way to look at it. Christianity is the fulfillment of Judaism. It's the setup. One was the shadows. Now you have the reality. You can't have the new without the old. Jesus, of course, is the culmination of the old. The prophets, the temple, Moses, all of that points to a Messiah. That Messiah being Jesus. He fits the fingerprint of the Messiah. So the problem and challenge for these Jewish Christians was their vision. They needed to refocus they were viewing things from an earthly perspective, and as you know, uh, Jesus' kingdom was spiritual in nature. Let me ask you this. Does the date October the 29th, 1929 mean anything to you? Well, if you know that date, you know that it's referred to as Black Tuesday. It's the day the stock market crashed and ushered in the Great Depression. The Great Depression was a difficult time for Americans, and, and then-President FDR came up with a plan through a, a system of programs and financial reforms and things of that nature. Uh, he tried to bring the country out of that Great Depression. It was called the New Deal. Well, Jesus brings us out of the Great Depression with a new deal. I should say God brings us out of that dark time with a new deal, a Messiah, Jesus Christ. That is the New Deal for us, the New Covenant as we call it. 
And there are many living in a deep depression, a dark time, and Jesus, of course, is the answer. God gave us a new deal and a new lease on life. Let's keep reading. Verse 9 and following. Then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will. He takes away the first in order to establish the second. By this will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. Every priest stands daily administering and offering time after time the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But he, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time onward until his enemies are made a footstool for his feet. For by one offering, he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also testifies to us. For after saying, this is the covenant which I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws upon their hearts and write them on their mind. He then says, and their sins and their lawless deeds I will no longer remember. Now, where there is forgiveness of these things, an offering for sin is no longer required. I want you to look at that statement where it says, he sat down at the right hand of God. Jesus sat down. Why is that significant? Well, there were no chairs in the temple. Priests didn't sit down. They could never sit down because their work was never done. They had to constantly be offering sacrifices. There was no one time for all sacrifice until Jesus came. Jesus can now sit. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of God, and he doesn't have to continually get up and make sacrifices. He doesn't have to continually get up and re-offer himself. One sacrifice for all time. Jesus sat down, and because he sat down, he can get comfortable, and we can get comfortable, in that we can relax knowing that our sins are forgiven. We can rest in the comfort of knowing that in the presence of God is the best place for us to be. Then I want you to notice verses 19 and following. It says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let's approach God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. All access into the Almighty God, into his presence, must be mediated. All presence... All access into the presence of the Almighty God must be mediated. You can't just go traipsing into the Holy of Holies. That access has to be mediated. And thanks be to God that we have access because of Jesus Christ. He is the great bridge builder. He tore down the veil of separation. And now we who were guilty have been deemed clean and are allowed to be in the presence of an almighty God. You think about that for a second. Let let that sink in. The Hebrew writer is saying you have a friend with clout. You have a friend in high places. You have access to the throne room of God because of Jesus Christ. You have access to God who delights in your prayers and answering your prayers. He's been in your shoes. He's suffered. He's been tempted. He can sympathize with what you're going through. He's not distant. He's not aloof. He's not far off. He is close, and he is waiting for you to draw near. So let us draw near. Let us do so boldly. Why? Because we can be bold. We can boldly come into the presence of God because a way has been cleared for us. We don't have to keep our distance. We have a priest and a sacrifice who allows us to take advantage of the access code. You see, when people are discouraged, they tend to disengage. 
I see it all the time in my work. People who are going through a difficult time, rather than drawing near, they pull away. In times when people need the church and Jesus and God the most are typically the times that they turn away. It's unfortunate, but I see it all the time. When you're discouraged, when you're down, when you're disappointed, when you're living in a great depression, it seems that that people turn away from God rather than drawing near. When they need the church and need to be lifted up, they they seem to turn away. And the message to these Jewish Christians is a message to us as well. Keep your eye on the prize. Watch the coach. I know you're hurt, but play hurt. Play till the whistle blows. Don't throw in the towel. Don't get discouraged. Stand firm. Hold fast because falling away would be way more catastrophic than anything you're going to have to experience going forward. Don't look back. Don't go back. Instead, notice what comes next. Let us hold firmly to the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Now, I do recognize that there's a problem in all this. You know it. I know it. We know that God has promised us victory over sin and death. We know that God has promised that he will lift the curse. We know that God is faithful to all of his promises. That's not the problem. We know that whatever God said, we can take to the bank. He's going to make good on his promise. That's not the problem. The problem is that there's a gap. There's a gap between God's promise and God's fulfillment of that promise. That's the problem. And life lived in the gap is not always easy. You know that, I know that. Life in the gap is not always easy. There can be difficulty in the gap. There's heartache, there's hurt, there's there's depression, there's despair. There's all sorts of things that, that cause us that cause us to maybe question God, that cause us to maybe question our faith, that cause us to maybe draw back rather than move forward. There's, there's sin, there's guilt, there's shame, there's all those things. There's a problem living in the gap. The gap is filled with people who have dropped out of the race and people who have fallen away. And guess what happens when you fall back? The gap widens. So when you fall back, instead of drawing near, the gap gets wider and wider. You know, the man that invented the automobile, Henry Ford, failed in business five times before he ever became successful. The great dancer Fred Astaire was told that he was slightly bald, that he couldn't act, and that he could barely dance. Walt Disney was fired from a newspaper for a lack of ideas. He went bankrupt like five times before he started his empire. Theodore Roosevelt lost his mom and his wife on the same day. Yet he became a a war hero and president of the United States. And then there's Abraham Lincoln. You probably know his story. It's incredible what he went through. At 22, he failed in business. One year later, he ran for the state legislature and lost. When he was 24, he failed at a second business venture. At 26, the woman he loved passed away, and he suffered from a nervous breakdown. He lost another political race when he was 29. At 34, he made an unsuccessful run at Congress. At 37, he did get elected to Congress, but lost two years later. At 46, he lost a bid for the Senate, and the next year failed in his attempt to be vice president. At 49, he was defeated for the Senate again. He had four sons, only one lived to adulthood. Then at 51 years of age... He was finally elected president of the United States. Of course, 
The rest is history, as they say. What's the moral of that story? I think it's very simple. I think we need to refuse to stop where our circumstances try to stop us. There will always be things in your life that try to lengthen the gap, that try to stop you in your tracks. Refuse to stop where your circumstances stop you. Go beyond them, because sooner or later, all of us come to the intersection of contradiction in this journey of life. The good seem to suffer, the wicked seem to prosper, life is hard, all you've got to do is look around you and you see that, right? The, the life is, is music, and the music is not always in perfect harmony, right? Sometimes it's a symphony, sometimes it's cacophony. And, and, and these notes, these inharmonious notes, they dominate the score. This is life in the gap. How do we reconcile it? Well, I, I think the one place that we need to start is by not throwing in the towel. Make that decision that at least I'm not going to throw in the towel, so therefore I'm going to work and I'm going to move forward and I'm going to, instead of draw back, I'm going to draw near. Because drawing back extends the gap. There are only two directions you can go here, forward or backward. That's it. There's no middle ground. There's no neutral. There's only two directions that you can go. We're all like swimmers to an extent. You're either swimming towards the shore or the current is pulling you back. It's only two options. You may think that you're just resting and you're just floating along, but you're not. The current is always drifting you ever so slowly away from the shore. So you're either swimming forward towards the shore or you're drifting back. So instead of walking away or swimming away, persevere and draw closer because what you're after going forward is going to be far more glorious than anything you might experience in this life what you're after is going forward it's not in the in the background you won't find what it is that fulfills you by drawing back the gap is also where we are built the gap is where we're built we have to understand that the gap is where God prepares us for the promise. Listen to what Paul wrote in Romans chapter 5. And not only this, but we also celebrate in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance proven character, and proven character hope, and hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Folks, heaven is won or lost right here in the gap. This is where we prepare for eternity, is in the gap. This is the now, and we're waiting for the not yet. That's the gap, right? The now and the not yet. And life is lived right there in that gap. We're living in the now, waiting for the not yet. And so we must redeem the now. That's how we live life in the gap. We redeem the now. I love how Paul puts it in Philippians 1. For I am confident of this very thing. That he who began a good work among you will complete it by the day of Christ Jesus. God is doing something in your life. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God is preparing you for eternity as we speak? That he's building you up? That means that all the things that we go through, they're rather for our benefit, not for our demise. He started something that will eventually be brought to completion, but you will never see it if you fire him, you will never see it come to fruition if you fire him. Let him finish. That's what the Hebrew writer is saying to these Christians who are ready to walk away. He reminds them that all that God has done, all that he is doing, and all that he is going to do is for their benefit. He's telling them to look past the present and see the completed work. Keep your eyes on the coach and on the prize. 
And then in Hebrews 12, he says, Therefore, since we also have such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let's rid ourselves of every obstacle and the sin which so easily entangles us. And let's run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking only at Jesus, the originator and perfecter of the faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You know what that tells me? Keep your eye on the coach. Keep your eye on the prize. Just keep moving forward. Now, look at verses 24 and 25 of Hebrews 10. All of that set up to get here. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is where the lifting up comes in. But we often miss it because verse 25 is our proof text for what? For being at church. So anytime someone misses church, well, Hebrews 10, 25, don't forsake the assembly. But understand that forsaking here has to do with abandonment or desertion. So someone who misses church on occasion, they're not abandoning. They're not forsaking. That's not the context of the Hebrew writer's words here. Is it important for us to be together as a church family? No doubt. And there's plenty of other passages besides this one that show that. Yes, we need to be together, especially if we're going to encourage and lift one another up. You've got to be together to do that. So I'm not diminishing our being together. But we often just zero in on verse 25 and make that our proof text for not missing church. You know, look, if I, if I miss supper with my family, I, I don't like that. I don't want to miss supper with my family. I want to be able to sit down with them and eat supper. But I didn't forsake my family. I didn't abandon my family that night that I couldn't be home for supper. So understand the context of what is being said here. The Hebrew writer is not saying so much that, hey, you don't need to miss church on Sunday or Wednesday. What he's saying is, you're about to walk away from this. You're about to walk away from not only the church, but from God and your faith. Don't do that. Don't abandon your faith. Don't abandon the church. Instead, this is a time where you need the church and you need God more than ever. You're being persecuted. Hold firm. Be steadfast. Come together. And when you come together, here's the purpose. To encourage one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Instead of putting all the emphasis on church attendance here, let's emphasize what the author intended to emphasize which is not only the need to be together, but the reason for why we need to be together. Part of the church's job, in fact, one of the primary jobs of the church is to lift up those who are in the gap. To build up those who are in the gap. That's, that's the job of every single one of us here, isn't it? Every single one of you is either an encourager or an encouragee. Just kind of depends on where you're at in life. But all of us play that, uh, one of those two roles, right? We're either an encourager or an encouragee. Life is tough in the gap. And therefore, one of the duties of the church is to be a place of lifting up. In other words, we're all lifter-uppers. Every church member is a lifter-upper. We are to stimulate and provide stimulation. And this isn't just the preacher's job. This isn't just you know, pulpit to pew. This is pew to pew. This is a responsibility of every single one of us. The word stimulate here is rather interesting. 
It's a word in the Greek that is applied to a fit or a seizure. In this context, it refers to a strong urging of others toward the goal of producing more love for one another and good works of service. The meaning of this expression in the Hebrew is provocation toward a good end. Steadfastness is achieved through the activities that are promoted by us coming together, assembling together with one another. The word for assembling here is a Greek word that's uh, rather hard to pronounce. I should have put it up here and let you try it. It's epesuagage, which means coming together in a meeting. Christians are to meet together, to encourage one another, to lift one another up. How could the early Christians encourage and strengthen one another if they weren't meeting together, if they weren't going to come together? They had to meet in order to carry out this exhortation. Edifying, encouraging are essential purposes of the assembly. Paul said that in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. So to forsake the assembly is to forsake the things that foster faithfulness and steadfastness. And not only that, by abandoning the assembly, these early Christians were forfeiting the opportunity to receive encouragement that they so desperately needed as well. The assembly was to be a place of refuge, a place where like-minded people of God could come together and bridge the gap. Because that's what we are as New Testament Christians as well. We are bridge builders. We bridge the gap between the now and not yet. We help those who are living in the gap, people like us. All of us, really. Because life is tough in the gap. And we're all bridge builders because we're all limping disciples, aren't we? Every single one of us. At some point, we're all going to need lifting up. So here's what I want you to do. As you go throughout your week... As you say your daily prayers, I want you to add this prayer to your daily prayers, please. This prayer right here. Lord, show me who you want me to lift up. There are some of you sitting in this auditorium that have been through uh, a difficult time recently. You have found that life in the gap is in no way easy. You can really help somebody that is dealing with difficulty right now. I've always said it, converted sinners make the best preachers too, right? All of us have a job, we have an exhortation, we have a responsibility to be lifter-uppers. And those of you who have been through a difficult ordeal, who better than you to help someone get through it? And you may say to yourself, well, I, I don't know, I hadn't gotten through it yet. Well, then maybe you can just be an ear. Maybe you can just listen. Maybe you can just provide a shoulder to cry on. You don't have to get all theological and spiritual. Just be there for somebody. Pray this prayer. Lord, show me who you want me to lift up. And then go look because I guarantee you God is putting somebody in your life that you can lift up. I guarantee you he's going to answer this prayer. My, my guess is you already have somebody in your life that you can lift up. And if you don't know who it is, come see me because we have a whole prayer list in the bulletin that I can show you. Plenty of opportunities. Pray, God, show me someone to lift up and then go find someone to lift up. There was a, a little boy who wanted to try out for the school play. And so he went to auditions and his mother waited in the car for him. She waited nervously because she knew her son didn't have much talent. He couldn't sing, he couldn't dance, he couldn't act, so she was a little worried for him. After 45 minutes... He comes out of the school bounding on air, smiling. He jumps in the car, and mom, a little surprised, says, well, how did it go? And he said, mom, it was great. 
I have been chosen to clap and cheer. And so have you. That's your job. You have been chosen to clap and cheer. And every single one of us needs a cheerleader. So, if we can encourage you this morning, if we can pray with you, if we can uh, study the Bible with you, maybe you're ready to begin a daily walk with God, you want to put on Christ in baptism, whatever your need is this morning, be lifted up and come as we stand and as we sing.